Good morning, Lighthouse Bible Church San Jose. Uh, we're going to be starting off with the scripture reading. So if you can pull out your Bibles and turn to Psalm 9. The title of the psalm in the ESV reads, I will recount your wonderful deeds. Psalm 9, the reading of God's word. To the choir master, according to Muthlaban, a psalm of David. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne, giving righteous judgment. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end in the everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out. The very memory of them has perished. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice. And he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed. A stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds. For he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. O you who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may recount all your praises, that in the gates of the daughter of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. The nations have sunk in the pit that they made, in the net that they hid, their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. Hegeon Salah. The wicked shall return to Sheol, all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. Selah. Please bow your heads with me. Please bow your heads with me as I open our service in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we read the psalm, it continues to remind us that all gratefulness and thankfulness belong to you. That we are to point our hearts to your mighty sovereign hand and your goodness and your love. That even in times of calamity and in times of fear or crisis, that your hand is still completely sovereign over all situations, over everything around the world. 
that your mighty purposes will always work out for good, as it says in Romans 8.28, that your power and might will be displayed and even in some of the toughest crises and times of our lives. And as we continue to navigate through a very uncertain time in the world right now, even as we change to a live stream on church and church meetings are being impacted and disrupted, work is being disrupted, our lives, our habits have to change, and, and all these things are happening um, in, within your mighty hand. And so we pray, God, that you have mercy on us for if we ever exhibit lack of trust or anxiety, Lord, we give those things at the foot of the cross. We remind ourselves that it is because of the cross that we even desire to meet together. Because of the gospel, because of what you've done for us, you're the one who drew us to Christ. You are the one who allowed us to be awakened from spiritual deadness. You are the one who opened our eyes to the meaning of the scriptures. You caused the natural man to come to life, to become a spirit-filled man. You are the one who saves, Lord. And so even now, it's not the virus that they're worried about. We're worried about sin. We're worried about unbelief. We're worried about misplaced fear. And we're worried about our own fleshliness or being worldly. These are the things that dishonor you, O Lord. And so we pray, God, that you give us that faith. And our hope is in Christ only. And we pray that the return of our Lord and King will be soon. And we can't wait till that day happens. So we pray that the surface service, as much as we're scattered, Lord, will just be as powerful and that the worship will just be as genuine as if we were together. For all the glory belongs to the one true God of Israel and of all the nations. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Um, for those of you who are joining us in the live service, we want to just thank you for for joining us here, and hopefully you guys have made yourself comfortable. Um, I just wanted to, to give you guys some caveat that if the, there's a bit of a lag time between the talking um, or the video, um, you know, just uh, we're sorry about that, and we just want to say, uh, again, thank you for being patient with us um, as we uh, continue to try to honor the Lord in this way. And so um, there will be a Q&A time after this service, so we hope that you stay for that. Okay? We're going to be continuing on with our next scripture reading. It's going to be taken from the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. So go ahead and flip forward in your Bibles. The book of Hebrews. And we'll be reading the entire 10th chapter. Christ's sacrifice once for all. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never 
But the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them, after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of son, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has spurned the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. 
and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion of those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come, and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. This is the word of God. At this time, I'm going to call up Kevin Al to lead our church in a time of intercessory prayer. Let's all pray together. Lord, you are holy and deserving of all of our worship. And we thank you that you have taught us that worship is not confined to a particular location, but we worship you in spirit and in truth. We thank you, Lord, that even amidst so much fear and uncertainty in the world at large, you've allowed us to still hear your word, which remains true, unchanging, and an infallible source of comfort for us, even as our lives have had to adapt to daily changing circumstances around us. Father, we thank you first that despite so much fear around a virus that can affect our bodies, that your people can never slip through your grasp. No matter how much a virus might affect our bodies, it cannot harm our soul, which you will preserve for yourself. We thank you for the eternal hope that we have, a hope that can persist through disease, that can persist no matter how dire things may appear in our communities and can persist even as our bodies may fail. We're reminded that the world is cursed because of the sin that we introduced into it, and our hope is not that we can overturn the curse through vaccines, government programs, or quarantine practices, but our hope is in Jesus Christ, our Lord, who redeems fallen humanity and restores our souls. Father, we are truly experiencing a time of difficulty that is affecting the entire world. I ask that you would provide peace and comfort to those who may have lost loved ones. We also ask for your provision over those who are on the front lines, those who are caring for sick patients, working to slow the spread of the virus, and that you would provide relief and resolution to a physically sick world. But though we wholeheartedly desire resolution to this physical sickness that has become such a glaring reality in our world, I pray that across the world people who are still lost in their sin would recognize a far more pressing reality, a sickness that can not only take away their lives, but will condemn their soul. If this would be a means, Lord, for you to take what people see as a health crisis, to show them the spiritual crisis of their depravity, 
lurking not in a sick family member or a neighbor or a coworker, but in their very own hearts. We ask that you work out these circumstances for good, that people might turn to the Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord, the only one who can heal the sickness of their sin, and more than that, revive the deadness of their souls. We acknowledge that you are sovereign over all things, that not one sneeze or cough or a particle in this world proceeds apart from your sovereignty, and that you orchestrate all things for the ultimate good, according to a wisdom that is far above what we can comprehend. Father, we pray for the nations of the world, our leaders, health officials, those whom you have placed above us. I pray that you would grant them wisdom on how to lead our people. And I pray for the long nights of deliberations and decisions, that they would be led to enact policy, direct us in a manner that protects and provides and cares for the people that you have placed under their care, and that they would not be directed by greed, selfishness, or pride, but in the best interests of us all. Lord, as a church, we want to lift up our brothers and sisters around the world today. For those who are still able to assemble together and be present with one another, I ask that you would keep them safe as they minister to one another, but that the love of Christ would drive these interactions and not fear or anxiety. For those churches like ours that have had to make adjustments to our regular order of worship, I ask that we would not place our hope in what we are comfortable with or used to, but that you would call us to remain faithful, joyful, and committed to walking with the same heart, even as the life of the church may look different for a short season. For those in our church who may be struggling, for those who might be in a place where they are far from you or vulnerable, I ask that you protect and provide for them, that you would direct each of our members to continue loving one another, and that loving one another does not go on hold just because our circumstances may prevent us from the means that we're accustomed to, that we would continue to practice the one another's, exercising all precautions and prudence, but compelled by the love of Christ for us. Father, we ask for wisdom for our own church leaders, that your word would be their guide, that you would give them your heart for your people, and they would fulfill your calling to shepherd your flock in a Christ-like manner. We ask that when we are weak, we thank you, Lord, that when we are weak, then Christ's strength is our strength, and that we ask our, that our leaders, the elders, their families, would experience the strength of Christ sustaining the ministry of this church. Father, we lift to you all of our fears, all of our anxieties, and as your people around the world, we ask for the faith to walk in obedience to your word and find comfort in your truth. In Christ's name, I ask all of these things. Amen. Thank you, Kevin. Well, I want to welcome everyone who's joining us by live stream this morning. And we're thankful to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that regardless of the circumstances, we still have this opportunity to worship Him, which in many countries, regardless of the circumstances, they can't worship uh, Jesus. So we're thankful for that. I want to give a special thanks to the elders and deacons who have joined us this morning uh, to be able to put this worship service on and have left their families and their homes so that we can um, participate and help and provide a worship service for our community. And I want to give a special thanks out to the AV team, uh, both of the Seventh-day Adventist Church and also Lighthouse Bible Church who have gathered together and have labored hard over the last 24 hours to make it possible for us to live stream. Some of you who are live streaming, as Peter noted before, there may be a bit of a lag. I'm sure many of the churches throughout America this morning are using 
the YouTube vehicle, and so things might be a little bit slow and a little bit buggy. We also have the audio mix XLR, so you can listen by that way as well. But um, let me just say it, it, it breaks my heart a little bit that we're not able to gather together, all of us as a church family this morning, and be together and see one another face to face. At the same time, um, we're thankful. And we're thankful to the Lord. We know God is good. We know He is sovereign, as both Peter and Kevin and Ted have pointed out. We know He has good plans. And though we don't understand them completely, we know that He will prevail and that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And that's hard to see. It's hard to see as we live through what have become very much crazy times. Crazy times because of a virus. Crazy times because of a public health mandate. Crazy times because of where our nation is at and what it's forced to deal with and what the world is dealing with. And yet, though our format of worship has changed, there are some things that have not changed. Our God has not changed, His gospel has not changed, and our calling has not changed. And it's times like these that the Lord uses to do great things, to refine our hearts, to draw us close to Him, and call sinners to repentance, and to provide great encouragement and great strength in places that are not typically found. Just to set a little bit of a biblical basis, later this morning we're going to go into the reasons why we gather and the reasons why we go as disciples of Jesus Christ. But that's within the context of God's Word. As we look in the context of God's Word, disease and illness and tumult and times where people are not able to interact with one another is not something new. We have been blessed as a nation in America where for the past 50 to 70 years, we really have not had to confront this in a major way. I still remember going to school and having a music teacher who had a disability and walked with a limp because she grew up during the era of polio prior to the vaccines where children were quarantined and those who did get sick ran the risk of being paralyzed or having permanent disabilities. That's a long way off. We've forgotten that. And we've lived in the luxury of being able to interact with one another and having the blessings of modern medicine and public health to protect us in countless different ways, but ultimately the protection and benefit of God. When we come back to the scriptures and we come back even to the Torah and the first five books of Moses, God makes it very clear That as long as we live on this earth and until Jesus comes, our world is fallen and it's filled with sin. And one of the consequences of the curse of sin is disease and illness. And in the book of Deuteronomy, God makes it very clear to his people, there are two paths. There's the path of obedience to God and his word for his people. And then there's the path of disobedience. And he says specifically... In Deuteronomy 29, very, very specifically to his people. Now we're talking to his people, the nation of Israel. He specifies very, very specifically to them that for those who belong to the Lord and those who go in a separate direction, there will be curse. And of the curses that he lays down for his people, very specifically, he mentions war, famine, and pestilence and disease. And he does so 
in keeping with what Peter read this morning at the end of Psalm 9, he does so to humble the nations. He does so and allows disease to come in for a season and for a time to remind us that despite our money, our weapons, our education, our intelligence, that we at the end of the day are just men and that God is God and that ultimately he is in control. There is no virus, there is no disease that comes by accident. It comes, brothers and sisters, from the hands of God. And we have to wrestle with that. And we have to understand ourselves, our limitations, that we don't fully understand the plans and reasons and ways of God. But we know the testimony of God's word, that ultimately He is good and He is holy. But we do know in part, and we've seen it firsthand this week, that disease and illness comes in and it reminds us that there are limitations, that we are but men from the richest to the poorest to the most powerful, to the weakest. And on a global level, God allows these seasons to come in to turn a crazy and upside-down world right side up. He brings things to a halt. He allows us to stop. And He allows us to meditate for a minute and consider what is most important and what is most essential in life, especially at times where our lives have become very much about things that are not essential. He does it, brothers and sisters, to call a world which he loves to repentance, to turn from our sins and turn to the only one who can help us, which is God himself and his son, Jesus Christ, and his spirit. And we're reminded of the words of Jesus, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Something many times in many churches have long since forgotten. But for the people of God... And in individual cases, like the case of Job, and like many people from the Bible, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, who personally suffered with illness. We have to be very careful here. Jesus makes it very clear that we're not to run around and point our fingers at individuals and say, oh, you're sick because you sinned. On a global level, illness is present because we live in a fallen world. On a global level, illness is present to remind us that we are but men and we need God and we need His gospel and we need His Son. And that as the men pointed out this morning, sin is our biggest problem. And we can't solve that problem without God's help. But on an individual level, we have to be mindful. And we're mindful that many times God afflicts His own people. And that's certainly the case of Job. But He does it for a purpose and He does it for a reason. Ultimately, globally, illness comes in as a reminder and as a judgment from the hand of God. We see that also in the book of Revelation. But for God's people, it also happens and comes as a way and means in which God provides sanctification and a way and means in which he spreads his good news, the gospel. And there's no place that that is more visible than in the case of his son who he allowed to bear the sickness and infirmities of this world, who he allowed to bear the sins of this world, who he crucified and allowed to be a sacrifice for our sins and raised from the dead, so that all all mankind could know his love and his mercy and his grace. And so we see at least a glimpse of God's good hand globally to call sinners to repentance and for God's people to refine us and sanctify us, to draw us near and to bring us to the things that are most essential. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. How do we handle this time, and how do we handle this season? 
we're living in a time where our leaders and our public health officials are doing the best that they can. And we need to pray for them and we need to be supportive of them as we were this morning. And there's no time where we need to be in the word more and pray more for everyone more than now. But at the same time, we're starting to see very much the limitations of what we can do as a government, as a people. And it would seem at this time the best that we can do is hoard and stockpile toilet paper and practice social distancing and make sure that we don't touch or see one another and that we're separate. That has its place. But we're mindful and we see that the best that the world can offer is to manage symptoms and to separate and divide. But the good news of Jesus Christ and the good news of those who know Jesus as Lord is that our Savior and Lord is not a Savior and Lord of this world. He is not a leader like the leaders of this world. And he is not a man who is fallen and sinful like so much of what we see at this time. Our Savior and Lord draws sinners near. And he unites them with God and he unites them with one another, regardless of the time or the season or the circumstance. And Why? Because he is the crucified and risen Son of God, and he is greater than our sin, he is greater than our death, and he is greater than our disease. This is the testimony of God's word. This is the testimony of the cross. But brothers and sisters, this especially is the testimony of his disciples, whom he has saved and made children of God by his word and by his blood and by his grace. Jesus is the reason disciples gather together, and he's the reason they go. And this morning and next week, we're going to walk through seven unchanging reasons why disciples of Jesus Christ gather together and why they go. And it's all about Jesus. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. Matthew is the end of the first gospel of the New Testament. And it was written by Matthew, the former tax collector. The tax collector who was sitting at a booth whom Jesus came and spoke and said, Come, follow me. And he left behind his riches and his tax collecting business and went and followed Jesus. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Matthew gives us this gospel account of Jesus' life and ministry. And in many ways, Matthew's gospel, the first in the New Testament, is very much the disciples' gospel. As you read through Matthew's gospel, you'll see that compared to the rest of the books of the Bible, Matthew uses the term disciple and talks about disciples, to my account at least, more than any other book of the Bible. From the very beginning of the New Testament, in this gospel, Jesus sets the standard for what a disciple of Jesus Christ is. And he sets the standard for why disciples gather, and why they separate, and why they go. And as we read through this, we see that the standard that's set for disciples of why they gather together, and why they social distance, is very, very different from the rest of the world. By the time we come to Matthew 28, the end of Matthew's Gospel... Jesus has been crucified by the world, but he has also risen. And his resurrection is not the end of his story, and neither is it the end of the disciples' story. Jesus, by the time we get to Matthew 28, has returned for his disciples. 
And he's returned to them for a special task. He's returned to them to remind them once again. Just like in the Sermon on the Mount. He's returned to remind them who he is and who they are. During times of crisis. When our worlds are turned upside down. During times of persecution and difficulty. When our minds are just filled with the fears of the world. It's very easy to forget who Jesus is. And it's very easy for us to forget who we are. He's come to remind them that he is the living son of God. And that they are his disciples. And they belong to him. And he's returned to commission his disciples to carry on the gospel ministry he has begun. And it's because only the gospel can save sinners from their sinfulness and their sin and ultimately conquer death. He's come to remind them why they gather and why they go. Matthew 28, verse 1, and I'll read through this chapter. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and they became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said, come. See the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And they ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and they took hold of his feet and they worshipped him. Then Jesus said to him, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city, and they told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers. And they said, tell people, his disciples came by night, and they stole him away while we were sleeping, or while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him. Keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain, to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted or hesitated. And Jesus came and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go. Therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. With these God-breathed words, Jesus sends his disciples out into the world. He sends them out in his name to carry on his gospel ministry, to make disciples of Jesus Christ. As you go through this chapter, some of the words that are repeated throughout them are going. There's a lot of movement in this chapter. And the idea of movement 
And where we go and what we do happens repeatedly. And it's with these words that Jesus gives his disciples seven unchanging reasons why they are to gather and why they are to go. And this morning we will just begin with three of them. And the first reason is that disciples gather to see and to hear and to draw near to Jesus, the living Son of God. Disciples gather to see, to hear, and draw near to Jesus, the living Son of God. Brothers and sisters, this has always been the reason why the children of God and disciples gather. This is the reason why in love God sent His Son into our darkness and to die on the cross for your sins and mine. So unholy sinners like you and I could see God. So unholy sinners like you and I could hear God. So unholy sinners like you and I could draw near to a God of love who desires to draw near to His people and provide a way to live with them. In Matthew 28, from beginning to end, the two Marys and then the eleven disciples, they gather for one reason. And they're not gathering together for a paycheck or for a party. What's been highlighted with this coronavirus recently and all the recommendations on social distancing, it's highlighted that very much so the reason the world gathers together is typically to pursue something that is profitable. Typically, a paycheck or a party. And the reason they disperse and go away is when life gets hard, there are problems, or the gathering is no longer personally beneficial to an individual. It's true of our marriages, it's true of our workplaces, and sadly, many times it's true of our worship. We gather for what's beneficial to ourselves, and when it's no longer, in our eyes, beneficial to ourselves, we walk away and we separate from other people. But as we come to Matthew 28, we see for the disciples, it's quite the opposite. This is a time and season where it is not easy for disciples to gather. There's a reason the Romans have put a rock over the tomb, and they have guards manning the tomb. They do not want disciples to gather, and they do not want disciples to be near to the body of the crucified Lord. The disciples until this time were in hiding, and as you see, it's only the two Marys who come to Jesus' grave. So great is their love for him. The disciples are afraid, and they should be. Both the Romans and the leaders of the Jews would like to terminate or persecute these men in the same way they did Jesus. And yet we read Matthew 28.1. It says, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, and that's Sunday, and that's today, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Why did the two Marys go? Because they loved Jesus. Why did they go? Because the Lord was drawing them there. And as we proceed through the rest of Matthew 28, this pattern is true of all true disciples. The 11 disciples go and they gather at a mountain in Galilee. And why do they do this? They go to see Jesus. They go to hear Jesus. They go to draw near to Jesus. 
And whether it's the two Marys or the 11 disciples or you and I, the reason ultimately we gather together is because Jesus is not dead. He is alive. He has promised to be with his disciples and Jesus always keeps his word. And for the past 2,000 years, the pattern and practice of disciples has not changed. Whether it be persecution, plague, or pestilence. Because Jesus is alive. Because disciples belong to Jesus. Because they love Jesus more than anything in this world, including life or death. Disciples gather together on the first day of the week in many different formats or ways. They do so with the primary purpose to see Jesus, to hear Jesus, and to draw near the risen Lord. And this is what we are doing when by faith and the power of the Holy Spirit we gather in His name to read and listen to His word just as Jesus commands. And that's why Jesus in Matthew 18.20 says, Where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. What Jesus so beautifully points out in Matthew 18, which is a chapter on church discipline, he points out that the format of our gathering may not always be the same. We may meet in catacombs. We may meet in house churches. We may meet in stadiums. The format of our gatherings will not always be the same. But our worship is not bound by a format. Our worship is not bound by a building. And our worship is not bound as to whether there are two or three who are gathering in the name of Christ or whether there are 7,000 who are gathering in the name of Christ. We gather because Christ is alive. He is present with his people and his disciples. And he has invited us to draw near. And John Owen makes the point that until Jesus comes again and we see him face to face, the place in which disciples will see Jesus most visibly is in and through his holy word, the scriptures. It's because disciples desire and love to be with Jesus that whether in small groups or large groups, they gather together regardless of what's going on. This brings us to our second point this morning. Disciples gather and they go because disciples follow Jesus' direction. Disciples gather and go because disciples follow Jesus' direction. The testimony of Matthew's gospel and the Sermon on the Mount is that disciples are people who follow and obey by faith Jesus' direction. He is the ultimate authority. He is the one to whom all authority in heaven and earth has been given. And the question comes, what is the direction of our lives? This week, we've had the opportunity to see great acts of kindness. We've had the opportunity to see people go into places like Costco and purchase goods for senior citizens. We've also had the opportunity to see people hoarding. We've also had the opportunity to see people fighting over rolls of toilet paper. 
And it begs the question of each of us, what is the direction of our lives? And when life is hard, that's when the real direction of our lives gets exposed. What we really care about. And it's times like these, when there are trials and tribulations, that the things that often direct our lives start to fail. Our bank accounts, our money, and the amount of food we have in the closet. And fear and pandemonium begin to spread especially when all we have are the things of this world. But the good news of the gospel and the good news for believers and Christians is we are not of this world. And we have something much more than the material possessions of this world. And quite frankly, we have something much more than our health. We have Jesus. And in verse 16, Matthew writes, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Once again, we're reminded this is not an easy thing for the disciples to do. But we see ultimately that what directs the disciples, where they go and who they gather together with, is based on Christ's command and his direction. Jesus had directed them to gather at a mountain in Galilee, which was not dissimilar from the Sermon on the Mount. And why did these disciples go? Because discipleship, as Jesus had taught them, is a new life of repentance and faith in Him. Discipleship is a new life of submission and complete obedience to Jesus Christ. Discipleship is a new life of learning from Jesus what it means to be a child of God. Discipleship, brothers and sisters, is about belonging to Jesus Christ. We're reminded by the catechism that we've shared with our children. And now in this day and age, we have to live it out. What is our only hope in life and death? We've shared that with the children on a repeated basis. But brothers and sisters, now we have to live it. Our only hope in life and death is that we belong to God. We belong to God Because Jesus has purchased us with his blood and we belong to him. And this is what guides us and this is what gives us direction in life. And this is what gives us hope. In Matthew 28, Jesus goes on and shows that the two reasons that disciples go and they gather. They go to tell others that Jesus is alive. They gather To be near to Jesus. And this always has been the essential and the basis for which believers gather. What is the direction of our lives? What is the direction of our families? What is the direction of this church? Brothers and sisters, you need to stock up on food. You need to do what the public health department tells us to do. We need to honor them. We need to honor our government. We need to take precautions. We need to do what we can to love our neighbors and to honor our government. But brothers, make no mistake, more essential than toilet paper, more essential than the food on our shelves, as Peter pointed out, our bigger problem is our sin. And the remedy that God has given us shows us the essential things that we need in our life is not only Christ, we need His direction in our lives. And the good news of Jesus Christ is that He has given us His Word that is sufficient for everything pertaining to life and godliness including how to love and care for our families during this time. 
And that brings us to our third and final point this morning. Disciples gather and they go because we worship Jesus, the risen Lord. Disciples gather and they go because we worship Jesus, the risen Lord. Brothers and sisters, this is a time for believers to be believers. We don't worship the things of this world. And we don't worship ourselves. And dare I say, we don't even worship our families. Though we need to love and take care of them as Christ has commanded. Ultimately, we worship Jesus who is alive and present in our lives. And verse 9 and verse 17, both the two Marys and the eleven disciples... It says, and when they saw him, they worshipped him. The good news of Jesus Christ is that God has said, when we seek and we ask and we knock, our Father, when we're disciples, hears us. He gives the spirit that we need. And that those who call upon the name of the Lord, he will by no means cast away. And we see here that those who pursue Christ... By God's grace and by faith, they find Him. And when they find Him, what disciples do is they worship Him. And we see here both the two Marys and the eleven disciples. What does it mean that they worshipped Him? They bowed down before Him. They paid homage to Him. They pledged allegiance to Him. Not to their pastor, not to their local church, but to Jesus. Not as a man, but as the Lord. The Son of God. The eternal Son of God. And we see in this act of worship, what they did was they surrendered the entirety of their lives as a living sacrifice, not to their careers, not to their families, not to their personal ambitions. They did it all and surrendered all of it to Jesus. And they submitted their lives to Jesus as the only one who could care for their lives, both in this life and next. To His plan, His agenda, His word, and His priorities. And brothers and sisters, this is what worship is. Times like these help refine the church and help remind us why we gather. It's good to gather to be with friends and family. But if that's the primary reason we're gathering, brothers and sisters, that's not worship. It's good to gather to sing hymns. But if that's why we gather, that is not worship. It's good to hear the preaching of God's word, dare I say. But that in and of itself is not worship. Worship is not a building, it is not a place, it is not even music, and it is, and I will say this, not even preaching. Now understand the context that I'm saying that. Worship, as God describes it, is the surrendering by faith of an entire life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in obedience to His Word, for His service, and for His glory. Worship is the surrendering by faith of an entire life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in obedience to His Word for His service and for His glory. And that's why the Apostle Paul in Romans 12.1 writes, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Brothers and sisters, this is why we gather. And this is what Christ calls us to do. And we don't need a stadium or a church filled with hundreds of people to do this. 
But we do need to do it every day and every minute and every moment. What we need for worship, brothers and sisters, is Jesus himself. And the beauty of Jesus is he has promised to be present where two or three are gathered in his name. Where Jesus is, there is worship. Why? Because Jesus is the light of the world. Because Jesus is the life of the world. Because he's the way and the truth and the life. Because there is no way to the Father but through him. What does Jesus say in the Gospel of John? He says to us, My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Brothers and sisters, why do we go and why do we gather? We go and we gather because of who Jesus is. Because of his love for us. Because of the cross. And because Jesus, as we've seen in this passage, is greater than the coronavirus and he's greater than death. He loves his people perfectly. He knows what's best and he has given us his word that gives life and love and joy in the face of of adversity. Where does that leave us? And where does that leave our church in the days ahead? I want to consider a few things as we gather together. As we look through this chapter, what's highlighted and what Jesus always highlights all the way through the Gospel of Matthew is essentials and non-essentials. What are the essentials and what are the non-essentials? And obviously the world sees what's essential and what's non-essential in a different way than disciples do. Well, very clearly, the essentials are Jesus Christ and His Word. That's the essential. We cannot live without Jesus. We cannot live without His Word. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And that's what tailors, and that's what directs, and that's what sets the tone of why we gather. And so the elders and the leaders of Lighthouse Bible Church San Jose are committed in the weeks ahead and the foreseeable future to provide ways in which Christ will be exalted in ways in which people can gather, and ways in which we can come and meet together with Christ and with His people. Now the format is going to be different, and for the foreseeable future, much of what we do will be online, and much of what we will do will be in small groups. And we'll ask you to stay updated, and we will keep you posted, and in a few minutes we'll have a question and answer. But the elders have already put together a platform and a program by which on a weekly basis there will be a sermon. On a weekly basis there will be a venue, whether it's online or in person, where small groups in numbers under 10 who are healthy and meet the restrictions that have been given by the public health department can gather together, whether it's online or in person, to pray together and read God's word together, to pray for our president, to pray for the leaders of this nation, to pray for San Jose, but also to pray for one another. And I want to exhort you to something at this point in time. Now more than ever, there are more distractions that will keep you from what's essential. Now more than ever, our minds will be filled with fears and all the different things we need to do in order to take care of one one another. Now more than ever, you need to be in God's Word. Now more than ever, you need to spend time with Christ. Now more than ever, we need to be in prayer. And we need to be in prayer, not only for ourselves, but for this nation as a whole and for the people around us. We also need to keep in mind 
as we consider essentials and non-essentials. The essentials are Christ and obeying all of his commands, not some of his commands. In keeping with Christ's commands, we are called, in keeping with Romans 14, to honor the government and to submit to the authorities that God has placed over us. Jesus himself said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Alright, and so during this time and season, we do not discard the restrictions, the mandates, and the legislation that is coming from our government. Instead, we need to be exemplary and go the extra mile in honoring our government, submitting to them, working with them, and doing everything we can to help their struggle in order to protect the citizens of this nation. That means we cannot be careless and cavalier. To live by faith means to live in obedience to every command of Jesus Christ. It does not mean this is a license for negligence. And that also means that we use every means that Christ has given us in order to love God and love one another. What is the great command and the great essential that Christ has given us? It's in our passion statement at Lighthouse Bible Church. It's to love God and love people. We're to love God with all our heart, mind, and soul, and strength. And we're to love one another as we would have them love us. We're to love one another as God has loved us. The law for disciples, the rule and authority, is not the law of fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear. He's given us a spirit of power and self-control and a sound mind. And what rules us, brothers and sisters, and what rules our decisions is a love for God and a love for one another. And that love for one another at this time extends, as the parable of the Good Samaritan shows, to our neighbors who are not believers as well. That love means we will not put anyone at risk. We need to do and take every precaution To not put someone else at risk. That means we, in keeping with the public health recommendations, we wash our hands. That means, where appropriate, we fulfill the request for social distancing. That means we wipe down after ourselves. That means if we are sick or others are sick, we wear masks or we keep six feet away from people. We do everything that we need to do to honor not only ourselves, but to not put anyone else in danger. Brothers and sisters, that is love. Okay? And I want to remind you of this because we are a younger demographic. People can feel healthy. They can feel invincible. And I know of one Bible study where it was requested that people wash hands before they went into that small group Bible study and only one or two people washed their hands and everybody else went in. Okay? This is a time where we need to love God and we need to love God by loving one another and not putting brothers and sisters at risk. Social distancing, where does that come in? This is a time and season where everything that you read from the public health department to the blogs is talking about social distancing. We can go from one extreme to another. We can say, forget about it, no big deal, to locking ourselves down and not seeing anyone. Jesus provides very clearly the criteria for social distancing. And in many ways we could say it's common sense, but it's common sense because it comes from Christ himself. We social distance for non-essentials. And for essentials, we break social distancing. So for the sake of the care of my wife and my children, if they're sick, I'm not going to social distance. I'm going to do whatever I need to do to take care of my wife and my children. 
for the non-essentials. We're going to honor social distancing because it is one of the best means in which to prevent the transmission of the coronavirus and to care for our community as requested by our government and the public health department. And so in keeping with this, the elders have been working together from last week before all of this happened in prayer and looking to the Lord to consider what are the essential activities of Lighthouse Bible Church and what are the non-essentials. The essentials for Lighthouse Bible Church are Christ, the proclamation of his word, and the gospel. Much of that we are going to be able to do through online streaming and through small groups. We're actively looking to the Lagos small group infrastructure to provide support for small groups and every member of our church. So one of the things that we are going to ask you to do is to look and email your small group leader in Lagos. If you don't have a small group leader, then ask us for one. And we're going to ask you to reach out to them. And we've asked that the small groups meet online once a week for a brief time of reading scripture and prayer together. Because now more than ever, we need to support one another and we need to be in prayer and we need to look to the Lord. As things progress, we will keep you updated. As far as the teaching of the church, we will continue to meet. As far as the leadership of the church, Sundays at 1030 in the morning to provide online streaming services. And then in April and May, we will continue to plan on providing online equipping services just as we had planned before. These will be done online so that we can control the numbers who are here and protect all of you. But we will look as far as the essentials being the teaching and proclamation of Christ and his word, gathering together for the sake of prayer in small groups or online, and then all our other services that we have that are considered to be non-essential We will weigh week by week, depending on the reports we receive from the government and public health department. We will honor the government, we will honor Christ, and we will love you. If you have any needs, or if there are any challenges during the season, if you are sick, we are going to ask you to let your small group leader in Lagos know, through email or through text. We're asking you to do this so that we can care for you. So that if people need food, if they need help, if they need assistance that we at the church can organize that in a way that loves you and also protects the rest of the flock. I want to say one final thing. The Lord has used this at this time to humble our nation and humble our churches. I want to ask you all by faith to have a humble attitude. This can be a time where out of fear we judge one another and we judge our neighbors. This can be a time where we point fingers and say, why is this family doing something and this family is not? This can be a season where we're saying, why is this family not coming out to this event, but this family is? Brothers and sisters, this is our time to rejoice in the Lord. He's going to use this time to spread the gospel. This is not a time to point fingers in judgment at one another. And what we need at this time is a humble spirit because that's what God is calling us to do. A heart of compassion, a heart of grace, a heart that demonstrates the love of Christ in exactly the way he did during his ministry on earth and when he went to the cross and he died for our sins. Brothers and sisters, this is a time where we need one another and each person needs to do their part. And that part, first and foremost, is to be with Christ as much as possible and to allow him to encourage you, strengthen you, and to love your neighbor. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, you have given us clear direction from your word. 
You have loved us and you will not stop loving us regardless of the circumstance or the situation. We want to come to you and thank you for your presence in our midst and with each member of our church, no matter where they are and what they're doing. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your care for us. You know each one of us by name. There is nothing that will happen to us that comes apart from your will and your love for each one of us and every member of our family. Lord Jesus, during this time and season, what we need most is you. And so, Lord Jesus, I just ask, would you give us the faith we need to just draw near to you, our great high priest? Would you give us the strength we need to confess you on a regular basis? Would you give us the strength we need to live by your love and not by fear? And Lord Jesus, we thank you for what you will do during this time and this season as your disciples in a dark world will shine like bright lights and be the source of encouragement and strength, not only to one another, but to a world that you love and so desperately needs to hear your good news. In your name we pray. Amen.